HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Union Beer. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. This is Chef Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. This is a special March 18th show. We're at Edible's Good Cider event uh, with Gay Howard from United States of Cider and Sarah Grady from Glenwood who helped found uh, Cider Week New York. So we're here at the beginning of the, of the event and, and it's always fun to sit down and do a radio show when everyone's running around, you know, Crits Farms from upstate, they didn't bring something to, for their draft kegs and everyone's trying to figure out where their tables are. So there's the fun of, of these festivals and it's only it's significant that we're here with, with Gay and, and Sarah because the cider movement in New York has come a long way since you guys first started kicking around Cider Week, Sarah. So That's welcome right. to the show. Thanks, Jimmy. So give us a little background on, on, on Cider Week. I remember many years ago we had a meeting and you invited That's people, right. reps and distributors. Yeah, yeah. yeah, thanks for hosting that meeting. That was a very special part of my life. Um, so that's right. Cider Week started, what, almost five years ago now and was part of some work that I was doing here at Glenwood in the Hudson. Sorry. You're okay? Going, yeah. yeah, okay, sorry. I, I, uh, I'm part of an organization called Glenwood in the Hudson Valley and our mission is to ensure that farming thrives in our region. And we, because we're a historic apple region, had seen this opportunity for hard cider to create opportunities for orchards. And um, I had started to work with some cider makers and some apple growers. And one of the really uh, sort of nagging questions at that time was, you know, when is cider going to have a category in the beverage industry? At that time... There was there were no cider distributors. The existing beer and wine distributors had few, if any, ciders that they that they were selling. And um, you know, restaurants, bars, shops didn't have cider sections on their on their menus or on their shelves. That's something that was really pointed out to me, by the way, by Steve Wood of Farnham Hill Ciders. And um, and so we talked a lot, like how can we create a category for cider and get more interest, get more participation, and get people really familiar with the cider producers that are here, you know, in our region, in our area. And so Cider Week was this idea that kind of sprang up from a bunch of friends and colleagues. No, it's, it's, it's really become such an important thing. And through that, I, I met Gabe from the United States of Cider. And how, how do you see Cider Week and, and the, 
well, development think, of cider in New York. I think it's very exciting to see that now Good Cider is an event that is dedicated just to New York cider, that there's enough cider making going on in New York State that we can have an event that focuses on the cider makers in this area. Yeah, so we're here. We're going to taste a lot of great ciders tonight. Uh, Edible Magazine organized it with, with you guys, right? You know, um, in a sense, yeah, we were part of it, but really mainly just kind of making the connections. I mean, one of the amazing things that I feel is happening now is that this is all growing so fast, and there are all these incredible opportunities and so many people that want to be supportive and want to participate. So actually, this event came about because there's a program from New York State Ag and Markets called Taste NY, promoting New York-made food products. And they really wanted to support the growth of New York Cider and the foundation of this uh, New York Cider Association. And they wanted that message to reach the public. So um, we suggested a a tasting event with Edible. And Edible really has taken the lead in producing this. But uh, this group of producers that are helping to form this Cider Association helped to... um, Help to shape the event and get everybody involved, everyone included. Well, from the first Cider Weeks, some of the people I first met are sitting here with us now. Juanita and Matthew Kritz, Kritz Farms. You make the Harvest Moon Ciders. Love your stuff. Thanks for joining us, too. Thank you. Yeah, and usually we just do a little introduction and try to get to know everybody, and we're going to talk deep about cider today. So, but, you know, how, how did you first get involved with, with Cider Week and uh, Cider Associations and getting out of your neck of the woods and selling product in New York City? Um, what was it, three years ago? When Something like that. The first fall tasting, it was about three years ago when we first did Cider Week. And I don't know how you guys contacted us, but somebody I, did. I called them. Oh, she <laughs> called us. And we're very we were, lucky that she called yeah, us. And we were just starting, and we're, uh, especially when, you know, we're big joiners and like to see the cooperative effort. So we jumped at the chance to get involved. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, one of, the, one of the things about the evolution of Cider Week, you know, we talked about that meeting, Jimmy, that, that you remember that was at your place. That was like, we had no idea what was going to happen that first time. Cider Week, we thought, would be, um, you know, just a few tastings in the course of a week. And um, that meeting was attended by, as you recall, you know, friends and colleagues who mainly work in restaurants and shops and some other food groups in New York City, and everybody was just on board with this idea of doing more of like a real celebration of cider in the fall. And at that time, you know, I just invited, you know, who I, who I knew was already making cider and selling cider in New York. It was a really diverse group and a small group. And over the course of the next few years, because we had so many restaurants and so many shops that were so enthusiastic about it, we developed more focus, like what is the message of Cider Week New York City, you know, and it really is to introduce New York City residents to real craft cider, particularly New York-made ciders. And so what's been fun over the last few years is finding the cideries throughout the state of New York, you know, for me, um, and and a few years ago it was kind of like... A lot of just, you know, word of mouth and sussing out, like, who's out there and what are they making. And now um, now it's happening much more quickly, and there really is a natural cider community. But there was, previous to Cider Week, not a community of New York cider makers. That's what Cider Week really fostered, and that's what led to the creation of this state association. The timing was really right for us, because we had just launched our business in 2011, in the fall of 2011, and that was when the first Cider Week was, so we kind of missed it the first year, but 
we were hearing about it. And then by the second year, we were excited to be involved. And like Matthew said, we're kind of joiners and we really believe in collaboration and we are members of lots of different associations. And so the idea of participating in the establishment of a group of us all coming together for the greater good of cider, you know, sounded really appealing to us. So yeah. the timing was right and each year it seems to be getting better and better. So it's really exciting to be part of this event as, you know, 25 of us now I think are here tonight or something. I think there's more than 30 actually, oh. at least who were, who were um, you know, capable of, of being involved. And that's like I don't know. I mean, four years ago, we had a third of that. Something like that. It's a big, really big expansion. For me, the idea that, you know, 500 tickets at $50 or more per ticket could be sold to come taste cider is really exciting. Really impressive. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's great. That happened fast. It's, it's pretty amazing. Cheers to you guys. And, and it's great also Cheers. just the fact that we get to drink all these great ciders. Oh, yeah. yes. I mean, going back, I think it was it was over four years ago now. My experience with cider was I had some good Spanish, French, and English ciders, and it hadn't. Other than Farm Hill, I hadn't really tasted any other American ciders. Yeah. And now, I mean, just for you guys alone, Crits Farms, Harvest Moon, I've got on the list of my place West County. Uh, this new guy, Steve Sun from South Hill up in Finger Lakes, he came down and delivered to me, and Redbird from Finger Lake. People that have never even been in New York before have sent down deliveries. And it, it's a, it's a, it's expanding my palate for sure. But I just love cider, and we should talk about that. I mean, Kate, we, we could do the whole thing today. You, you've got, you've got a blog just about cider, right? My friend and I, Kay Michaels, are big cider enthusiasts. And when we first started drinking cider five or six years ago, the selection was limited as far as U.S. ciders available in New York. And it's just really interesting to see the growth and the diversity of cider styles that are available now and even just coming out of New York how many different types of cider you can find good cider I, I, one of the best things about for me to come to these things is I can drink other people's ciders too <laughs> there's some really good ciders out there from my other fellow cider makers um, everybody has their own style and sort of trees and what you know what their situation is and um no, it's great. It's, it's fantastic. I love cider too, so it's great for us to come. Yeah, it's even as producers, it's incredibly diverse. You know what what we've got here today. Like, I mean, one of the things that I love is that a lot of the people walking in the door here right now in Tribeca, setting up this event, are clearly coming straight from their farm. Yes, you know, and you know, we've got got a lot of people who are both farming and producing cider but then there's also like there's some pretty like slick slick companies coming through the door as like well, Jimmy you know like Jimmy right well then there's Jimmy that don't make anything you make let's, radio let's go let's go way back so the early origins of cider week yeah, yeah. there was some kind of exchange okay France. so yeah so as I was saying before, I work for an agricultural organization, and we were interested in the way in which cider could bring opportunities to orchards. At that time, it was not even clear to me that there were more than half a dozen hard cider producers in New York. So I figured out who in the Hudson Valley was making hard cider or was interested in it, or growing apples potentially that could be suited to hard cider, and I put together a group. Um, to participate in an exchange program with a group of cider and Calvados producers from southeastern Normandy in France. 
it was something that we were invited to do collaboratively with a group of producers from that region in France, a very small corner of Normandy where they're trying to really get recognition for the style of cider that they've developed there. And we had this incredible experience hosting the French makers here, touring them through all the operations in the Hudson Valley, and actually... um, We had a big tasting in the barn at Glenwood that was a tasting of all the products from Le Perche, is the name of the region in Normandy. So all the cider and Calvados, as well as some food products that we had specially imported for this event. And then similarly kind of matching that up against products from the Hudson Valley, cider, spirits, cheese, bread, all that kind of thing. So um, the the very talented producer of that event was a woman named Sabine Bretschdakian, who then became the Cider Week producer and is now a partner in New York City's first cider bar um, with a couple of people who were really, um, whose imagination about cider was really turned on by that event, Ben and Jen from the Queen's Kickshaw. So, um, so there were some seeds planted there at that tasting with the French producers even here in our New York community, but then we also took the Hudson Valley producers to France, and we got to visit all of the producers and orchards there, and it was a really tremendous learning opportunity from a technical perspective, but it was also just so inspiring. And one of the things that came out of that was that that group really coalesced and wanted to collaborate, you know, and that was, again, sort of helping to set the stage for something like Cider Week, and so it was coming... coming from that experience that that group said we want to work together and what we really need is to uh, like I said before you know to have visibility as an industry and as a category in the beverage industry and so this formula for Cider Week was to get the producers organized who wanted to be available to the participating locations and then introduce them to the buyers you know to the trade the wholesale buyers from restaurants and shops and bars and we did that by having a trade tasting, again, hosted at Jimmy's, <laughs> and, um, and publishing essentially a guide to the, the ciders that those buyers could, um, could feature during Cider Week. And that, that's the formula that's continued for Cider Week. In fact, all the public events that happen during Cider Week happen in a really grassroots way. It's, you know, it's venues like you, Jimmy, planning your events, and producers like Harvest Moon making... Um, you know, creating opportunities to appear here in New York City, and um, and our work really, like I said, has been to connect the producers and the buyers. And that trade tasting is a big event now, annually. I have to say, it's been it's been very successful, connecting us, a producer from Central New York, with buyers down here. It's been very good. Yeah, thanks. And like we do events, we were here for two or three days, and cap takeovers and things like that, stuff you would have never heard of five years ago yeah. are going on now. So, yeah. 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 And that's all Cider Week has started that humble beginning, and now it's really that's grown right. to something. And I think, like, the theme for me and that experience, and then again tonight with this event, Good Cider, is that we have so much to learn, you know, as appreciators of cider. And all of this innovation and growth is happening really quickly and like the, the world of our local ciders is expanding so quickly but because we as Americans really lost our cider culture in the 20th century it's this big like restart you know this big kind of revival and um, and so we have so much to learn just as consumers and as appreciators but even the trade even the wine and beer professionals who come to that trade tasting are learning 
and that is an educational experience for them as well. I mean, for you guys, Matthew and Juanita, I mean, coming into New York City, I mean, what, what's the reception you're, you're getting? I mean, do you feel that there are more people that want to buy ciders in restaurants definitely. and shops? Definitely. Oh, definitely. 100% definitely. We've seen a big difference in the three years we've been selling to New York now. Uh, and we've... I think where before you had to convince certain um, bars and restaurants and stores that they ought to sell cider, now they're recognizing that they definitely need to sell cider and maybe they might even allocate a tap line only to cider or that they always have more than one cider on the menu. So the, the progression is you know, a recognition from the trade that they ought to pay attention to cider because consumers want cider and then even take it beyond that, they want to try different kinds of ciders and they want to be able to choose what cider they want and they their palates are getting more mature and so as in the other craft beverage industries you know there's segmentation of different kinds of cider and um, so it's just grown a lot just in the short short time that we've been doing it yep. I mean, we're only going into our fifth Fourth year I think so when we first started it was a battle just to get one cider line and I see bars now that actually have two cider taps <laughs> And I'm and like, bottles. And, and, and bottles. bottles, and I'm like, yes, this is wonderful. <laughs> and now it's, uh, you go in and try to, they have a cider tap, and you get them, they do a lot of tap rotation, and you try to get them to get your cider in on some sort of rotation, and it, yes, two taps well, and one bottle. I, I like cider, too. <laughs> Just coming down here today, we had to come all the way down to Tribeca in, in Manhattan, and my stomach's a little upset, and once again, having a cider in the afternoon really settles my stomach, I'll tell you that. I'll give one brief shout-out to our sponsor, Union Beer Distributors, and we'll be back in a few minutes here on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. In 1996, L. Knife & Son acquired Union Beer Distributors, which was originally located on Union Avenue in Brooklyn, but has since expanded to its present location alongside the English Kills Canal in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Union Beer has grown dramatically in the last decade as the primary distributor of Anheuser-Busch products for Kings County, Brooklyn, through the hiring and development of the best people in the industry. In 2003, Union Beer acquired a powerful catalog of specialty brands, which immediately positioned them as the craft beer supplier to accounts in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, and Staten Island. Union perpetually tweaks their portfolio to maintain the highest level of stylistic breadth with the most coveted brands available. Through the highest possible level of service, outstanding salesmanship of the ultimate lineup of brands, and a paramount focus on education on all levels, Union Beer has solidified its position as the only source for the best selection of beers in the 14 counties of southeastern New York. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. We're doing a special extra cider session with Gay Howard from United States of Cider. Hey, Gay. Hey, Jimmy, glad to so be So this here. is a great idea. We're at the Edible Manhattan Good Cider event, and you, you wanted to put ever. together a little cider show. So uh, who, who did you invite to join us? Well, we've got lots of producers here. We have Harvest Moon Cidery, we have Descendant Cidery, and we have Sarah Grady of Glenwood with us right now. All right. And we might be joined soon by Ben, who's oh, opening uh, with the first cider establishment in New York City, right? Yeah, we're thinking about crashing the party. 
All right. We were talking to Sarah first about you know how Sorry Week got started, and you went back to the exchange with the Normandy producers mm-hmm. and with the Hudson Valley Saturday guys. Um, let's let's talk more about that because there was there was also a, a larger project. Was it called the Apple Project? Yeah, we something? call it the Cider Project. Now. I mean, basically, that's just kind of an umbrella name for all the work that Glenwood has done related to cider, which, like I said, started with this exchange, led to Cider Week, has now led to the creation of the New York Cider Association. Um, there are some other events that we have hosted at Glenwood for producers with a real emphasis on discussion of cider apple varieties and how to get those special apple varieties into large-scale production so that cider makers have access to what would be considered hard cider apple varieties. So these are apples that are really well-suited to hard cider production and often might not be edible. So there hasn't been a commercial market for those apples until we built up a cider industry to create demand for those apples. So actually, we met at one of those. Yeah, I've been to, been to the last few. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I've been to the last few of those. It's been great. Yeah. What's your Connected. name? I, I, I've you've been trying to get in contact with me. Yeah, it's Jahil. Jahil Maplestone. And you're so. a descendant. So you actually, yeah. you're making cider in New York City? Yeah, yeah we're the first and first and only cidery. In Queens, yeah. right? Yeah, we're in Queens. Excellent. Yeah, we uh, started during Cider Week last year, had our launch over at uh, Queen's Kickshaw in Queens, and uh, yeah, just sort of growing steadily from there. So, so how is it, what Glenwood's doing and impacting what you're doing? I mean, yeah, it's great. Well, they, are you buying your apples upstate? Or? Yeah, yeah, I mean, everything's coming from the Hudson Valley, and uh, Glenwood was great because they cont- contacted us early on and said, you know, we're putting together these sessions to uh, connect cider makers with the farmers, um, try and promote the... the uh, growing of cider fruit up there and, and resurrecting some old farms and that kind of thing and also promoting the cider industry. So. And Ben, so you were the first place that launched Descendant Cider. What was it like for you at Queen's Kingshaw? I mean, you've kind of been on the forefront of cider in New York City. Tell us about what does Descendant Cider mean yeah, to you? Yeah, I mean, Queen's Kingshaw uh, launched uh, with uh, with uh, Descendant Cider and we had a, an amazing turnout, a packed house. It was insane. I think people, there was an, an incredible amount of excitement uh, you know, and people came from all over. It wasn't just from, you know, our, our regular base. It was, you know, people from all over the city were coming out to check it out because it was, you know, it's literally New York City's first urban cidery. I mean, that's freaking exciting. Well, well overdue. Like a well overdue. And, uh, yeah, so it was palpable. And was, we have uh, Matthew and Juanita Critz from Critz Farms and Harvest Moon. So, Matthew, we're, again, a good cider event. It's kind of loud, and you ran over to your, your table. Is your cider ready to serve? Oh, it's ready to go. I brought a couple of samples with me, too. <laughs> so this is, what, what is it? Uh, it's cold. And it's good. cold. It's good. This is our, uh, what we call, four-screw hard cider. We press this on a 120-year-old four-screw cider press, so we named it after that. It's an English-style cider, and we're using a touch of maple syrup that we produce on our farm to sweeten it and give it a little bit of character to it. It's nice. It's still really dry, too. Yeah, it's very dry. It's only 2.5% residual sugar, so there's not, it's not a real sweet cider. But well, com- you know, Compared to the early days of Cider Week, I mean, just the, the variety of cider we're having today is unbelievable. And, Gay, earlier we were, we were drinking a, a Aaron Burr cider, right? We were right? drinking an Aaron Burr Golden Russell, which was delicious. And we love that, too, so... All right. Well, cheers to everybody. Kind of cheers. cheers. Up. But, uh, I'm drinking the pom-pom from Descendant here. So you're adding pomegranate and hibiscus. Talk to right. me about that. Yeah, well, so, I mean, a lot of the fruit we're using is, uh, um, you know, dessert fruit and, and things that are meant for um, other purposes. And 
what that lacks compared to proper cider fruit is tannin. So uh, with all my ciders, I'm trying to work out how to get that balance without having the, the tannin in the fruit. Um, so pomegranate's a perfect thing to blend with that because it's well, packed full of tannin. Um, so I sort of messed around with that until I found a good blend that worked with that. Um, I think pomegranates have kind of a funny smell, so that's where the hibiscus came from. And um, yeah, I was kind of looking just to create kind of a sparkling rosé kind of thing. So when it all came together... So you put it in the hibiscus because you don't like the pomegranate? <laughs> <laughs> no, just the smell, because the, the, the hibiscus is only aroma. So uh, uh, yeah, it just kind of adds a bit to that. And, and where, where is your place? Uh, we're in kind of uh, Ridgewood, Queens. Yeah. Just a tiny little... And uh, do you bring in fruit and juice, or what do you bring Yeah, in? we bring in... It depends. Um, we press ourselves. We also get it pressed. It depends on the, the size. Um, and, uh, yeah, work with a few different farms upstate. Uh, bring it, they'll bring it in. We do it all there in the space, ferment it, bottle it, do everything by hand. It's, uh, it's yeah. amazing, man. Congratulations. And, you know, we're going e- echoing back to the start of Cider Week. Ben, you, you were there from the beginning with Queen's Kickshaw, and now you're opening LaSalle. Tell us a little about what how Cider Week started for you and how yeah. you guys suddenly got turned on. The, I mean, actually, I mean, it's before Cider Week. It goes back to that first event at, at uh, that Glenwood put on. And actually, our business partner Sabine Rastakian, who worked with uh, with Sarah Grady producing um, Cider Week, um, goes back to that first event with the, the producers from La Perche coming over and the producers from the Hudson Valley, and that was one of the biggest eye-opening experiences for my wife Jen and I. Uh, in uh, helping in, in 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 deciding that we wanted to uh, expand our cider program at the Queen's Kickshot, and so that was an organic process that kept on going over the course of several years until uh, you know until enough cider became available, enough quality cider, enough cider from around the world that we felt that you know it was really time to start figuring out how to uh, take the cider pro- pro- program at Kickshot and put it in its proper context. But uh, when you opened Queen's Kickshot, you, you started with cider. We always had cider on the menu. There was we started with about three, um, but you know, ever since the beginning, we saw uh, you know a, a great interest in cider, which is why we kept on adding to the list. Um, and but, we, but we, it, it grew and grew and grew as with the availability of cider, as with the excitement over cider, and so we saw our sales go from like five percent of of our overall alcohol sales being cider up to well over thirty percent now. And as a beer bar, that's you know, pretty that, impressive. That's, yeah, it's. <laughs> I mean, it shows what a lot of places could do in, 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 in carving out a category for cider on their beverage lists. If you make it a category, people will see it as a category, and then they'll go with it. And, and that's what we've definitely seen and done. One thing I love about this show... And, she's gonna and you too, Jimmy. You've done <laughs> it at yes. Jimmy's 43 as well. I was going to say, you've this you've is been becoming hugely a, a Wassail preview. Because everybody wants to go. I'm going Monday. We, this this show will be aired after you've opened, but I'm going to go on Monday uh-huh. to one of your preview dinners. I don't know if you know that. But I do, I do, I do. I'm on the I'm, list. I pay attention. And Sarah, I bet you're going to be there, too. Oh, I'm there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what I was going to say, actually, that I think has been really... Um, that continues to be exciting about the growth in cider is that like it's not just that we are a bunch of cider geeks and that we're excited about apples <laughs> I mean it is not only a pleasurable there is <laughs> obviously that's why we're here at this table together but beyond that for the rest of the world you know there's pleasure in drinking cider but cider is so food friendly and that is another and speaking to that sort of like experience of discovery particularly for the professionals the culinary professionals here in New York City that's where I see there's still there's still so much um, there's still so much that could happen there you know so 
as we kind of like acquaint our taste buds with cider and learn to appreciate cider in different contexts and in different occasions at different types of meals, um, you know, we start to like expect it and want it with certain types of food, especially. And so, um, you know, Ben and Jen do beautiful food at the Queen's Kickshaw. I can't wait to try the food at Wassail. <laughs> I know all about that it's, it's going to tell a mind. story. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I know that it's going to tell a story about how cider is a complement to food. Um, and for me, that's where a lot of magic happens. I know a lot of our listeners, from whether they're from England or Michigan or Florida, when they come to New York, they want to go to the places that are on the show. So where is Wassail? Uh, we're located at 162 Orchard Street. Lower East Side. That's in the Lower East Side. Hold uh, the phone. Orchard Street. <laughs> yeah. I just want to say, Orchard Street. <laughs> Did you do that on purpose? <laughs> it was meant to be. <laughs> it was meant to be, yeah. yeah. It's a Lower East Side Cider Revival. Yeah. Love that. But you yeah. have a chef too, right? And we have a chef. His name is Joseph Wintonsejo, and he's put together an incredible menu. Of, uh, of cuisine that's going to pair really well with cider. Um, some things are actually cooked with cider uh, or with apples, but uh, mainly what we're thinking about is the way that, that uh, different flavors are going to balance uh, really well with ciders from all over the world. And uh, I think that the scope of cider, the, 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 you know, I mean, of course, right now we're, 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 we're at a New York uh, cider event, uh, and so there's, you know, there's... But outside of this... Ben, what, do you have a couple of typical dishes that you'll serve that, that you think go really well with cider? Can you preview your menu <laughs> at all? Not yet. Oh, buddy. <laughs> you really hold on to your heart. You won't tell me? Not quite. No, you got to come Monday. Well, for the event tonight, a good cider. I mean, my chef, David, is, we, we said something real simple. Because yeah. it's like, you know, it's less meat-focused, maybe vegetables with meat, kind of the new trend, which is all I like to eat. Mm-hmm. So we're doing... A, Roasted Brussels sprouts with a little bit of bacon, but braised with cider. So primarily it's a bacon dish that's seasoned with bacon and cider. Yeah. And uh, I think that's how I like to cook food, too. Yeah, so. I mean, the thing with cider, it's the same thing with, with, with uh, pairing with wine or pairing with beer. I mean, you're looking for dominant flavors that balance really well off of each other, or you're looking for, you know, nuanced, you know, su- you know like notes or, 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 you know, subtleties within a dish that are similar. And so that's what we're really looking for, is looking for ways that we can, you know, uh, build a lot of layered complexity uh, on, you know, on, 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 a, on a solid, uh, uh, you know, sort of canvas. And then, you know, going up to the farms, Juanita and Matt, you guys are up upstate. What, what, central New York. <laughs> food. What, what kind of food experiences do people have when they visit you? Or, or when you're on the farm, what do you like to eat when you're drinking your cider? Well, um, we're... The region we are in, Casanova, we're really blessed. We have uh, lamb, with lamb people, beef people, cheese people, all this great food and right there. So we local producers, local producers nothing like some local lamb chops with horse brew or something. We we try to eat. We eat very well. <laughs> we in fact are. Like our friends that make the cheese, they use some of our cider as a cheese as a wash in their cave um, on their cheeses, and they trade us cheese and lamb chops. And you know, what a better deal can you have than that? So he's actually smiling when he talks. <laughs> <laughs> that's ultimately that's what I love about cider. It goes well with food. Yeah. But how much we drink, you know, of course we drink a lot, but we always eat too. And I think I think that's that's the, that's what's going to make cider go over the top. It does go so well with so many good foods. What about for you guys at Glenwood? Have you done any any food and cider 
educational programs or dinners or anything? Yeah, I mean, we, you know, our focus is not public education. We work mainly with food and farming professionals, but we do host farm dinners at Glenwood once a month, and every year we do at least one cider dinner. Um, historically, it's been in the fall when we also feature goat meat. So we've done a kind of goat meat and cider dinner, which I'd be happy to talk more about. But, but one point that I wanted to make was that um, something that we've, like, worked on a lot with Cider Week and talked about and tried to overcome is this perception that hard cider is an autumn beverage. And it's not only an autumn beverage. It goes really well with the types of foods that we tend to eat in autumn, like you said, Brussels sprouts or braises or pork, whatever. Um, but it is really uh, suitable, especially in spring and summer, with the kinds of you know occasions and picnics and barbecues and food that we have in spring and summertime. And in fact, you know, the way, everyone has a different technique, but the way that cider was made in the past was harvest the apples in the fall, let it ferment through the winter, and then it's finished in springtime. So actually, you know, your new ciders are, are in spring and early summer, and um, and that's sort of a different consciousness about hard cider, I think, that we're I think that's what, to... like, people are starting to, to realize that, and, and also that cider isn't a cider, cider is so many different types of cider in the same way that beer is just beer you have beers that go great in winter and you know like in front of a fire or like a lighter one that's great on a hot summer day and the same thing with cider cider you have so many different types that will suit certain times of year and certain situations so uh, agreed the winter as well because as as much as summer spring and summer is great and everybody thinks cider is fall but think of those comfort foods and that chili and the Hot pot stuff and the stews and soups that you make all winter. Well, a nice dry yeah. cider is a really nice complement to those kinds Absolutely. of meals as well. So yeah. year-round beverage for sure. Hey, well, uh, what's this next cider we're drinking? So we're drinking uh, Succession. So this is the one we launched with originally. It's um, my sort of idea with this um, was uh, sort of a session-style cider, I guess. Um, hence the name. And. Uh, uh, so we, mean, we, does that mean you drink a lot of it at once? <laughs> it's just, yeah, yes. a lower alcohol. So it took me a while to drink it. It's very or, sessionable, yes. He's drinking it. May introduce this, the, the idea of a lunch cider. There you go, yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I love it. It's really tasty. Way too late for oh, you the, so the madman. So you, it's, you said you have cider for breakfast. Occasionally. Yes. yes. But Do it, you have a question for anybody? Because... You're like one of my favorite cider people. Well, I'm fascinated by all the conversation here. I'd like to hear a little bit more about where Descendant is sourcing their apples and how you're selecting the fruit you use, since obviously it's an urban cider and you're not growing them right now in Queens. Yeah, yeah, no, so um, uh, I've been making cider myself for um, like quite a few years, developing sort of uh, different blends, like what, what sort of types of apples work with what I'm trying to do. Uh, and then once I kind of got to the point of wanting to launch a company, it was a matter of you know, finding those in quantity. And uh, that's sort of been happening just sort of organically as the business grows. So I started with some farms around Newpoltz and then as we needed uh, uh, bigger quantities, we were sort of finding other farms and then we've got the whole uh, problem of, of shipping everything in and out. So some places have uh, got what we want, but it's really hard to get in there. So um, it's multi sort of uh, faceted how we have to make that decision. But yeah, a lot of it comes from, from my sort of home side of making days of just developing blends and and working with certain apples. And Are you planning at any point to grow your own? Yeah, or yeah I mean, I have I have about um, twenty trees in my backyard. Twenty. Uh, yeah, but we're uh, we are thinking about getting a small pot and uh, yeah, starting just so we have a bit more choice on um, on specific stuff that that is not easily accessible to buy. Because All right. 
But guys, hold on for a second. We're, we're going to take a short break. We're back in a few minutes at our special exercise sessions on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. This is a special extra cider session with Gay Howard, a United States of Cider. Gay, thanks for helping put the show together. We're at Edible in Manhattan's uh, inaugural Good Cider event, and we're talking with Sarah Grady at Glenwood and celebrating just how far cider in New York has come since the first cider week. So cheers, Sarah. Cheers, Thanks Jimmy. for coming out. And uh, everybody's favorite, favorite cider maker who hardly makes any cider is with us, Andy Brennan of Aaron Burr Cider. So Andy, thanks for coming on, man. Thank you. I only get to see you at cider events, which is, that's okay. It's kind of what I expect. You're always welcome, Jimmy. But anyways, it's been a great great ride from the start of Cider Week to now. So we we already had, um, we had one of his, the Golden Russet. We had the Golden Russet, but an aged Golden Russet. And what's funny is when we taste we taste out-of-state people on New York Ciders, like we did a show that'll air soon with Randall Graham of Bonnie Dune Winery in California, who's making cider now, too. We always taste people on your Aaron Burr Ciders because we're trying to let them see what people in New York State are making. And also because you're working with some heritage apple trees, right? That's a big part of what you do. Uh, that's part of what I do, but, uh, yeah, the idea is um, not to make... For me, it's not to make varietal ciders, but to make ciders that are specific to locations. So, yeah, so being where we are is particularly important. Yeah, I know we're due to have a full show with you, man, because we really have to talk about stuff. But in in the context of that, looking at what New York's done with Cider Week, is that honestly, we talk to guys on the West Coast, they don't even have cider treats, which is kind of amazing. I mean, so... What do you think? Well, in the Northeast, we have, what, almost 400 years of apple cultivation. Some have escaped into the wild, some have assimilated. There's places in Maine where there's, and in the Catskills, where there's actual groves of apple trees that just because of our age, uh, we have we have what you know, no other place in the country has in terms of just generations of, of trees self-propagating and I mean, Sarah, how do you guys deal with that? Because, like I said, like other parts of the country don't even have, you know, old cider trees. Guys like Steve Wood are selling cuttings and juice to other people. Uh, like I know Bill Lyons, he's a big tech guy. He is planting forty thousand cider trees in the Pacific Northwest. I mean, how do you see like New York in that whole thing? I think. Um... <clears throat> I think there's a role for commercial apple growers who won't be cider makers to become the growers and the providers of cider fruit to cider companies. And those growers haven't been, frankly, convinced that it's worth their investment to plant cider fruit until very recently. That is just starting to change. And the reason that it's changing is not only because there are more cider companies that want to buy that fruit, but because there is a market and there's a thirst for cider. So I, I often try to connect the dots back like that to say that like you as a cider drinker here in New York City, you are showing that these cider companies represent a market for a certain type of apple that needs to be planted. 
and it works backwards up the chain, chain like that, you know, to convince those growers that it's worth planting those trees and crafting on that food. Well, it's a serious commitment for the growers, too. It's not like planting a crop that you can get rid of yeah, in a year trees. if it doesn't we're work. trees that last decades, if not longer. Talking about trees that take years to even bear fruit, and that is a huge investment for a grower. It's a I think capital until, and um, time investment. Yeah. Up until recently, a lot of them too were sort of worried it might have been a fat. It was starting to, it was starting to come up. They were worried that it would just fizzle out and they'd go and right. put these trees in and exactly. then they were useless. But I think now, because of the work <laughs> you guys are doing, it's it's, uh, it's becoming a, a real thing. They can actually see a, a future in it. And, yeah. Yeah. So are I've we seen in... a huge change. Like I've seen a huge change in the last four years in the types of conversations that I'm having with what you might call "quote unquote" conventional apple growers or you know commercial apple producers. You know, four years ago, this idea of growing cider fruit and producing hard cider was so French, so eccentric in their minds, and now. It is much less so. It's maybe not their first step. It's not something they're going to bank on as their like major source of revenue, but it's something that they're thinking about. And to me, you know, that's exciting not only because it means that we're diversifying the types of apple that we're growing, we're you know improving the qualities of the hard ciders that we're making, but we're also helping those orchards to ensure a different source of revenue, and that helps to you know that helps to make sure that they're viable, that they'll stay, those trees will stay in the ground. Are you starting to see cider makers have very specific relationship and commitments with orchard orchardists I think where their those are developing? Yes, that is happening, um, and I think it will happen more. Yeah, I think I think there's I think there's a lot of potential for that. But it's that's this is like the this is the nascent part of it now. You know, it's. The growth has been so explosive in such a short period of time that it's pretty amazing what's already happening in five years. Yeah. I mean, I think for for those of us that are, again, you know, appreciators and drinkers of cider, I think we're going to see the character of those ciders changing a lot in, like, you know, several years because the qualities of those apples that are just getting planted aren't going to show up in finished ciders for that long. Andy. Andy, Andy, Andy. Andy Brennan. The guy who shows Jimmy, up with Jimmy. what a real cider apple is, but these you, you come and do demos with these little hard cider apples and you cut them in half. You know what, what does this mean to you? I mean, you know, were you doing this before Cider Week? Uh, How long have you been doing this? Um, professionally, um, not very long. It's 2011. We got our license, so it's. Um, we started our first plantings in 2007, maybe, and our first like cider varieties, like 2008. Um, so not long. Our first cider was 2007. It was a year like 2013 where there was just apples everywhere. So we, we went around and got all the apples we could off the road and just you know wherever they were falling. And what's this? We're drinking your hemlock apple. Yeah, this, okay, so this is uh, a cider which has been in uh, a barrel for about two years, and uh, it's bottled just for this occasion for the opening of Wassail, because um, we, we actually don't have any cider right now. Um, but this is, um, so it's, um, these are forged apples, that's why it's in our small bottle. And then, in December or January, it was right after you guys came, when was that, in January? 
Uh, yeah, with our our, our, uh, our managers and, and cider director. Oh yeah, no, we, we had already put the hemlock in the barrels uh-huh. then. Uh-huh. Um, it was two barrels, um, so it was like right around then. It was like around Christmas. We put hemlock needles, which are not hemlock the poison, hemlock the uh, evergreen tree. It's like a spruce tree. Anyway, you just break the needle, and a little bit of like the uh, that acid poison. comes out. Yeah. <laughs> And it's just, it's basically just dry hopping. You stick the needles on top of the cider, and it um, gives it that sort of Christmas flavor that you have. Um, so it's yeah, it's, it's pretty. What do you think, man? I mean, you can. I love it. I mean, it's 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 the nuance. You get that that light sort of you know um, you know spruce kind of quality coming through. It's just faint enough that and incorporated into the liquid that it you know it's not like flavored. It's just a nuance. It's, it's delicate. It's supposed to be our like yeah our, our like Christmas drink, but it's a, we got totally. You guys are right. Yeah. Sarah, I mean, Andy Brennan's been for us the poster boy of, of uh, cider in New York, just because you feel like everything he's doing is pure and everyone loves the cider. I mean, what does Aaron Burr mean to you? Are, are there other cider makers that you say? <laughs> you know, Dan Wilson, Slide Bro. There's some guys you can say I, these are my poster boys. This is what you should be doing in cider. I'm gonna put you on this on the spot. But. I mean, I, I can't say should. I, I, I can't say that. But I will say that you know, I have been motivated personally, but also through my work, by this notion that that cider contributes to agriculture, and you know, in the way that Andy is growing trees and growing food and making cider, it's part of a, a cycle of nature. Andy's also an artist. Um, but I feel like that's sort of where the there is some romance there. You know, there is some romance there. But but actually, you know, for me, it's much more about getting down to brass tacks. You know, frankly, and looking at what what will ensure that we have you know trees in the ground and viable farms and beautiful landscapes and you know healthy environment and a, a culture of, of food and drink that reflects all those things. So earlier we were talking about who are some of the, the cider makers, cider growers, who were in the beginning with you, whether it be the Cider Association or Cider Week. You mentioned a few of them. Bill from Bellwether. So the most influential cider producer and fruit grower that I have known is not from New York. He is from New Hampshire, and that is Steve Wood from the Ciders. Um, and he has been a teacher to me and to many of us here uh, and, you know, continues to kind of be a real source of, of inspiration and of quality and, and insight. In New York, you know, Steve's been doing this for a couple of decades, longer, more. <clears throat> In New York, I mean, I would say certainly um, Andy here at the table has been a tremendous contributor. Steve Sellen, who just sat down. <laughs> Um, from South Hill Cidery up in the Finger Lakes region has been a really important contributor recently to the formation of the Cider Association. Dan Wilson from Slyboro Cider House. Elizabeth Ryan from Hudson Valley Farmhouse. Autumn Stoshek from Eve Cidery. Bill Barton from Bellwether. Um, Scott Donovan from Blackbird Cidery up near Rochester growing organic fruit actually. Um, Great, there's a lot of great people here today. And Steve, too. Steve, he came down to New York City, Jimmy's number 43. And Jimmy. We still have your cider on, man. 
Thank awesome. you. Yeah, it's a great yeah. spot. You also make a pomo though. And in in the, for me, the early days was some of the French, I don't know, products like a pomo, which is what? It's an apple brandy with some cider. Blended You're making that. And I think that's a great product. How did you end up Thanks. making pomo? Well, I was introduced to it by Peter Hoover, who I tell everybody when I'm talking about how I got into cider. Who um, he spent a lot of time traveling. Right now, he's probably around seventy in his seventies, and he planted a cider orchard about twenty years ago, just outside of Ithaca in Shermansburg. And he introduced me to cider and also to pomo. And um, the first time I had his pomo, that's what really wanted to make me um, get involved with apple spirits. And so I started making pomo from being introduced by him. And actually, last year. He actually made a single varietal Kingston Black Pomo, which was the first time I ever had that, and it's awesome. You know, he makes things just, he's very small scale. He's a home cider maker, but he has a cider orchard that he planted 20 years ago, so he can do great stuff. Okay, so does that, a single varietal Kingston Black Pomo, does that mean that he is making a cider from only Kingston Black and then distilling that into an apple brandy That's that is then question. blended with single varietals? Right, Kingston no, this was, this was Kingston Black juice. So, um, and um, blended with an apple brandy. Maybe. Sarah's putting it on the spot. Brand. No, I just want to understand what that <laughs> means. Well, yeah. So it's so it's definitely all Kingston Black juice. And since this is going to be broadcast to the public, I don't know where he gets the spirit. That's okay. But it's okay. It's top quality stuff, and it's <laughs> I vouch for every so bit of it. Pomo is a young he apple brandy. Somewhere. He gets it legally somewhere. Yeah. A pomo is a young apple brandy blended with fresh cider. Yeah. And then aged together. Right, and when you increase the alcohol content to that level, it causes the pectins and other solids to, to coagulate and just fall to the bottom, and so it falls bright and it doesn't ferment. So you increase the alcohol to a certain level where no fermentation occurs, but the pectins and solids just naturally fall to the bottom, and what you're left with is just sitting on top is this golden amber liquid, which is the pomo. I love and it. This was like 16 17%. It's kind of like a port, but it's a different flavor. Right, yeah, it's almost like an apple port, but you don't ferment the juice first because the sugar isn't so high. Grape juice is so high in sugar, you have to kind of reduce the sugar a little bit with fermentation before you blend it. I love it. It's a great style. Years ago, I was at Blind Tiger. They, they had a French Pomo, and they had it, they poured it into a cask, which helped it aerate and picked up a little of the oak, and, and it was one of my favorite drinks and still is. Ben, are you going to serve any Pomos at uh, Wasail? We have a few Pomos. Do you? Which ones? Yes. Uh, well... Uh, we have uh, Domaine de Pomo, of course. We've got uh, Manoir d'Apreval's Pomo. Uh, we're going to have the 1066 from uh, Orchard Hill. Uh, 1066 was the year of the Norman invasion, That's, and they didn't want to take uh, the name Pomo because it actually is a protected designation in France. Um, but it's you're allowed to use it in, in the U.S. You know, unlike Champagne. Uh, but anyhow, the 1066 will be on our menu. Um, are we going to have South Hill? Yeah, we have yeah, South Hill. We're going to have South Hill Pomo. Um, and we're also going to have ice cider as well. Right. Um, and we're really excited to uh, share these with people. It's not just like one Pomo and one ice cider. We're having a whole lot of them for people to choose from and discover. And you know, just well. last month, with dessert. talking about ice ciders and other... Just last month, a, a, a real kind of beer and cider enthusiast from Belgium came into my place. And he was like, I want it. I'm looking for ice ciders by the glass. And I had to say, I honestly didn't. I said I have the Eden ice cider in the bottle, but mm -hmm. I never had anyone ask for it by the glass. Mm -hmm. So I think you're onto something. But that's apparently the hottest thing now. The ice ciders and, by and the glass. And they will all be available by the glass. Bravo. Yep. Congratulations, man. Look, Cheers. this is a nice little show tonight. And Andy, is your first time on with us. <laughs> yeah. um, Cheers. You know, Cheers. tell us about the, the one cider you made that, that really blew our minds was 
the, the apples you gathered on, on an island off of Maine. Would you tell us about that one? He needs he needs a cider. I think legally I shouldn't. Oh. Um, <laughs> but um, same idea with the what we do in Hudson Valley. Just go around collecting apples off. This is a particular location because it's in. Uh, it's defined by an island. It's, anyway, it's the same. But you idea. would say if you had apples from from near the sea, would they perhaps have a salty character? Um, I don't think they did. I no? don't think they had a particularly salty character. No, I, I think uh, I don't blame the. Um, uh, I think the the flavor has more to do with the um, soil. Really, that's the what difference. You think, the soil. Yeah. What, have you guys ever talked about that before? Like soil and yes, terroir with apples. <laughs> yeah. 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 In fact, Andy's organizing a group of cider makers to specifically talk about stuff like that. And what is that going to be called? Uh, we don't know. It's um, it's a conversation that is begging to be had, uh, especially in um, uh, cider makers at our scale. Um, and uh, I'm not alone on this. This isn't my idea. It's just um, it's something that. Um, yeah. Well, let's go back a bit. I think, um, I, I can't say enough, Steve Wood and Terry Maloney, these are huge influences, but I, I would consider them to be sort of um, uh, first-generational cider revivalists, uh, and uh, I count myself among the second generation. Um, and I, I personally think that um, people more uh, our age, people just starting out, um, now have uh, more interest in um, uh, the way the apples are grown are growing. Um, it's not just sort of accepting 20th century uh, cultivation standards. Um, certainly not the um, varieties handed down in the 20th century. So how apples are grown. Um, it's a big topic in the wine world. It's naturally going to become a big topic in the uh, uh, cider industry. Um, it sort of doesn't exist right now. Sadly, it doesn't exist, but um, it, it will. All right, man. We're going to have to wrap it up. Does anyone want to follow up with anything about Tawar, or do you want us to call it a night and hit good cider? That's a whole other show. Yeah, we, this is a good intro. We're going to do another show about <laughs> cider, Tawar, and Andy I, I would and say one, just one thing about Tawar is that, you know, with, grape, with wine grapes, it's clear to see it because you have Chardonnay planted all over the world. Oh, with apples, it's such a wide blend. It's not as spot clear, but I think if you pay attention to regions, like especially the Pacific Northwest compared to the Northeast, that's going to be a very clear distinction at first. And so that, I think, will be you know one gross indication of terroir because the climate in the Northeast, we have more acidic apples. And so the acid structure and the sugar structure is going to be different. Well, I want to thank everyone for joining me here. We're at Edible in Manhattan's uh, Good Cider event. There's some great people, Sarah Grady, Steve Sellen, Ben from Wassail, Andy Brennan, and uh, Gay Howard from United States of Cider. Thanks so much for joining me and making this a special extra cider sessions on Beer Sessions Radio. And thanks to everybody. Thanks to our engineer, Jack Inslee, who's going to have to clean this up and, and take good care of it, and our sponsor, Union Beer Distributors. So, hey, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Mm-hmm.